0: If lens editing there's usually less small talk. If I <laughs> edit, it, I usually leave more of it in.
1: Yeah. I get I get bored easier and cut more aggressively. I don't think it's boredom
0: though. I think it's like uh Laziness. No, and you don't think people like what you're doing. <laughs> imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think it's imposter syndrome. No, we're talking about like You know, Philly I read it, I read an interesting
2: thing about imposter syndrome this week. What was that? It was saying that this person's sick of everyone telling them they have imposter syndrome. They want to be anti blowhard syndrome instead. Blowhard? So, like, instead of, like, telling everyone whenever they say that they are unqualified to do something that they're objectively not qualified to do that they have imposter syndrome, we should instead stop rewarding people who lie about what they can do. So we should stop blowhards and we should stop telling everyone that they're an imposter or my, that they believe that they're an imposter.
0: At my first tech job, I think my boss said, like, never tell me you can't do anything. Just tell them you can and look it up. So then I did
2: that. Uh, yeah, I mean I've totally <laughs> done that before. <laughs> so,
0: so, so then I did that uh, at that job. I was doing like printer maintenance. You did at that
2: job. <laughs>
0: and some and some some exec came over. I was like, hey, do you know how to do this one thing set up like with a printer? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I went and looked it up and did it and figured it out. And then that exec found out later and like put me aside and was like, you can tell me if you can't do something. Like don't don't lie to me. <laughs>
1: I think I reached the pinnacle of imposter syndrome when I put it down as a potential topic and then I thought I didn't know like I wasn't qualified <laughs> to speak about it. You
2: didn't you didn't know enough about imposter syndrome to talk about imposter syndrome? Yeah. That's too very, circular. I don't think meta. Yeah. The podcast will end in a recursive loop. This is how Turing Complete ends. <laughs> we stopped recording when we ended in a recursive loop
1: uh so mike do you want to introduce yourself
3: uh yeah so i'm mike eaton i'm a well i was a independent developer uh for a long time and uh i'm from michigan if you could see me i'd be pointing to my right hand which is held up where i live (laughs) um
1: the map of michigan everybody carries around with them
3: yep
0: is michigan the one where you like you turn your hand either up or sideways and that says where you're from
3: just hold your right hand up and that's that's the lower peninsula Oh, okay so and then to represent the upper peninsula you different people do different things (laughs) so it just all depends uh but no i so i'm just a long time developer um live in michigan run a conference we just had last week uh, called the x conference kalamazoo x conference currently working for quick and loans out of detroit how do you like working there it's probably the best job i've ever had uh it's you know amazing people. It's, it's really good. So let me level set. I've been there, uh, four months and two days. I, I looked at my profile today. So today was uh, four months and two days. Um, and it's, it's been after working for myself for 13 years, it's been just a, an amazing, um, break from all the headaches of, of running my own business and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, working with some really, really great people. Uh, I know a lot of people that have gone there and no one leaves. And so I, I figured there had to be something to that, and, and there is. I mean, their their tagline is engineered to amaze, and, and every day, I mean, there's something that's like, wow, that's that's just really cool. You know, they they just the way they treat their employees. We're not employees. I mean, we're we're team members, right? So even with things like that. So even with. Um, terms right we don't have bosses we don't have managers we have team leaders we're team members so it's just a different vibe top to bottom uh, hmm. which i think is really cool and it sounds a little hokey right it, it does sound like you yeah, know what are you talking about but uh yeah it, it's really cool
0: what made you uh take a full-time job after being independent for so long
3: i was tired every indie has ups and downs and so over the years you know so i started in 2001 you know there's ups and downs there's the feast and famine. And, you know, last year was just a, I don't know, it was a bloodbath. I don't know, I, I didn't do anything differently. Um, I started 2014 with five clients, and they just started falling like dominoes. And it was just weird. Um, you know, one of the projects I was on, I was uh, all of 2013, well, most of 2013, I was flying out to Colorado and working on this project, which was the most important project this client had. And end of 2013, very beginning of 2014, they said, hey, we're benching the whole team. And so that one went away. And then uh, there was another one that was a startup that I was doing some work for and they wanted to hire someone and they offered me a job and I, I ran away because I'd never wanted to work for a startup. And then some other clients, some longer term clients that I'd had, just timing didn't work out. There just wasn't the budget for me to, to you know, do a whole lot. So the first half of 2014 was just pretty much me sitting on my ass doing nothing um, in fact, I took June off, um, not because I wanted to, because I had no work. So I, I went down to Mississippi and went fishing in the Gulf with some friends and oh, came cool. back to Michigan and, and went, uh, went on vacation up in the Northern part of the lower peninsula and did that and came back and, you know, mid-summer things started picking back up. Uh, I started getting some gigs, but it was just this constant cycle of, of slow pay and, I don't know about you guys, but my, my mortgage company, they don't care, you know, (laughs) when I get paid, they want to be paid. And so it was just this cycle of, Hey, I had, I do a bunch of work and then it was the whole net 30 cycle. And, and sometimes it was net 45 and it just, you know, I I was doing some cool stuff, working on some cool projects, but it was just really starting to wear me down. Um, so October of last year, I, I sat down and Wrote an email to a very small group of close friends and mentors, and I just said, "I'm I'm lost. I I have no passion. I have no desire to to do anything. I don't know what to do. But if I if I quit being an indie, you know, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be a sellout because of all these years of me saying how awesome it was, and and it was just this you know basically me feeling sorry for myself you know in this email. Um, but every every one of them all responded the same way. They were all very positive and they all said, look, dude, you know, you've been doing this longer than most people we know. Take a break, step back, refill your tanks, and, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Just do what you have to do. So the very next day, uh, I got a call from uh, a friend, one of the people on that, got that email. And uh, he said, hey, I've got this opening on my team. I'd love to have you interview. And this was, you know, Keith Elder, and I think Lynn probably knows him. Um, And so, you know, we talked for I don't know, we probably talked for over an hour and I was it was a lot of hemming and hawing on my part, right? I don't know, you know, things will pick back up, that's this kind of thing. And and he finally said, "Dude, what is the issue? What is stopping you?" And I said, "I'm afraid cuz for the last god 4 or 5 6 years I've been doing a, a conference talk about going independent and how awesome it is. So I've reached out to a lot of people with this whole lifestyle of, Hey, this is awesome. You should do it. And, and every year I'll go back to a conference and someone will say, Hey, you changed my life. I went out on my own. And so in this call with, uh, with Keith, I said, I'm terrified of people saying hypocrite. You know, you're saying one thing and now you're going to do another, right. And and of of being called a sellout. I mean, you didn't
2: want to be, you didn't want to be a flip-flopper.
3: Right. I mean, come on, Metallica (laughs) cut their hair. And they got, you know, they were sellouts, right? And uh, this is a big deal, right? All of a sudden, Mike is no longer going to be independent. He's going to be, be working for the man. And uh, something he said, uh, he said, you know what? That's great, but they're not paying your bills. Hmm. And it was like, you know what? <laughs> That's true. And so th- that was on a on a Thursday. I saw my resume on Friday, and he got me into the system. And it was uh, actually, it was, it was kind of a relief, you know, just, just getting that, taking that step. Um, I, I honestly didn't tell my wife about it, right? And, and when it f- when I finally did say, "Look, you know, I sent this email, I talked to Keith, I, you know," and and here's this, and there was a this sigh of relief, this this oh oh my God, thank you from my wife, and, and you know she's been amazing, you know she's been supportive for God, we'll be married 18, but together for I don't know 22, 23, something like that, so she's been supportive forever and but you know it's tough it's tough on everybody um the, no, the indie, indie lifestyle is great right kind of work when i want how i want when i want work with cool technologies pick my projects um but it does come with with a you know a lot of downsides to it
1: so if people don't know the map of michigan you're like two hours away from quicken loans right
3: yeah it's uh, getting a car it's probably with with good traffic two hours
0: you work on site
3: uh, I do not. I work remotely. Oh, okay. Um, they, they have a, a very good culture of supporting uh, remotes. Um, I, I've heard numbers thrown around like there's, you know, maybe 100, 100 or more. Um, my team leader is remote. I've got a couple uh, members of my team who are remotes. I'm by far the closest, um, which is is. It's good, right? Because uh, yes, I'm remote. I do get to work out of the comfort of my home, um, but I tell you what: when I want to go in, I jump on the train, and it's two hours. Um, I'd rather be on a train where I can work and read and that kind of stuff. So I jump on the train. Two hours, two and a half hours later, I'm there. I grab Uber. I, you know, get to my hotel. I'm right there. Um, so I, I can be on site, you know, on pretty short notice. Um, but they they treat re- they treat uh, remote team members as first class citizens. Um, every meeting request that goes out has, you know, um, video links and, and conference call lines and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm set up my home office here. I've got a couple monitors, I got my MacBook. I've got a phone. I've got my headset cause we do a lot of calls. So it's just easier that way. It's fantastic. And they're big with hip chat. Everyone's always chatting hip chat. We use, um, communicator for IM. So there's, there's always some way to communicate with with everyone. And actually the way they, they really consider everyone there as remote. Cause when you think about it, if you're in a, in a building that's 15 stories high and there's employees on every floor, you could consider those people all being remote, right? So you're not all in the same space. Um, there are buildings across the street, across town. So when there's a meeting, you know, someone may not be able to make it from their desk to the actual meeting, you know, two blocks away. So they're remote.
0: Yeah. I think it's really important when you're working remotely to have a company that supports it in that kind of way that understands communication differences. I've been uh, on some teams where like there's still they have meetings where maybe I'm dialed in and everybody is talking face to face except for me, so that feels very um, you know, out of place sometimes.
3: When I interviewed, you know how they always say, "Hey, do you have any questions for us?" And most people say no, or they may say something like, "Hey, what, you know, what do you use for source code control?" Right? I was all about culture because for me that is the most important thing. it's got to be a good cultural fit and they're the same way, right they understand that they they want someone to be a good fit in their culture. So all my questions and, and some of the interviewers that, that were on, on the panel interviewed me were remote. so my questions were to them guys, you've been doing this for a few years here at QL what are the pros and cons as a remote you know and they all laid it out pretty well. you know I think there are, are things that that do impact us like, when you think about a big meeting, and let's say there's 10 people on site and a couple of remotes, well, when the phone is hung up, the people filing out of the room are still talking. You know, so we do miss that, um, but it's it's still not not too bad at all. When you th- in the whole scheme of things, it could be worse. But they do they they most certainly treat us as first-class citizens. And I think it helps too that that I'm not the only remote on my team. You know, there are others and especially with my team leader being remote, that's very helpful as well.
1: Yeah. So what are the biggest changes in your day-to-day since going employee?
3: Man, I tell you what, I used to joke and it wasn't really a joke. It was, so as an indie, you know, I tended to bill about six hours a day.
1: Right. And that's that's a lot. People who have never done consulting don't realize how much work it is to bill six hours.
3: Right. I mean, there's a lot of overhead. There's a lot of other stuff stuff I do during the day that I'm not getting paid for. Um, So I think the biggest change for me has been I'm sitting in my chair at eight and I'm pretty much done at five, but that time is solid. I mean, I have so much stuff to do and it's cool stuff. It's engaging stuff. You know, I mentioned earlier that, that in the email I sent to my friends trying to make this decision is I kind of lost the passion for technology. I just, I, I didn't care. You know, it was if I had choices to make as an indie between, hey, learn something cool and new or do billable work, I would do billable work. Um, so I, I wasn't on the bleeding edge. In fact, during my interview, they said, you know, name something bleeding edge coming out from, you know, let's say Microsoft that, that's really got you turned on. And I said, dude, there's nothing because I I just don't care. I don't have the time to care as an indie. I've got billable work to do. I've got to get, keep the pipeline full. I've got to collect invoices. Learning cutting edge stuff as an indie was not high on my list. And they said, "How would that change if you came here?" And I said, "I wouldn't have the burden right. of billable hours on my shoulder." Right. So, I mean, I mean, I hit the ground. I hit the ground running there. And in the first two weeks, I had done stuff that I would never have done on my own. I was diving into into stuff that I'd never would have done on my own. And and that was really cool. So I've I've kind of gotten this some of that passion back that I had before. Um, I'm you know, diving into, well, number one, this is the first time I've ever had a Mac. Um, a longtime Windows user, you know, longtime .NET developer, and hey, my team, we all have Macs because the team I'm on, we don't just do .NET. We do all sorts of stuff. And it's much easier to spin up a Windows VM on this box than to be on a Windows machine and have to spin up potentially three, four, or five other VMs for other stuff. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm immersed. I'm I, Dude, I love a Mac. I mean, I, every time I have to get on another laptop with, with a, a trackpad, I'm like, why, why can't anyone else get the trackpad right? This is just stupid. We were just um,
0: mentioning that today. We were talking about, like, why buy Apple hardware for any other hardware? And I was saying the trackpad is worth, like, $1,000 by itself.
3: Uh, and I, You know, I was skeptical, right? I mean, I, I know a lot of my friends run Macs, and they're all like, dude, best piece of hardware you'll, you'll ever own. Well, mm-hmm. as an indie... I found it hard to shell out that kind of money, but, but I did say, look, if someone wants to give me one, awesome. i would love to try it. But this thing, and on day one, my, my team leader showed me some of the gestures and I was sold. Right. So now I get on my, my personal laptop and I'm trying to, you know, three finger swipe and stuff. It's like, why does not this work? <laughs> this is stupid. Um, but it's, it's so, you know, it's, it's all this learning that's been going on in the past four months and two days of, of just things I wouldn't have done before, things I wouldn't have been exposed to. Um, we've got guys on my team doing Erlang. So I've, I've had some exposure to Erlang. And we've just, you know, so I'm not just doing .NET. It's, it's all sorts of really cool stuff. And, and, and the culture there supports it. Every Monday afternoon is, um, they call it bullet time. But it's basically like innovation time. Work on what you want. You want to learn something new? Do it. And so that's just kind of built into everyone. And people there take it very, very seriously. Um, you typically don't see meetings scheduled over bullet time because people want that time to, to learn new things and to, you know, there are these things they call isms, basically little, little statements of, um, you know, a lot of common sense stuff, like, you know, do the right thing and, um, you know, always raise a level of awareness and, uh, you know, yes before no, and every client, every time, you know, just these little snippets, uh, but they're used all the time. I mean, these are what drives people every day. It's, you know, do the right thing. We'll figure it out. Um, they all sound like little hokey and and, and stuff, but, you know, when, when you're stuck on something, you know, you, you don't give up. It's like, we're going to figure this out. Um, you know, respond with a sense of urgency, um, which you don't find in a lot of companies. A lot of times you'll call your IT department, um, you know, help desk and say, you know, something doesn't work. And sometimes they don't, they're not all that quick about getting back to you. Here it's different, right? You, you, everyone acts with a sense of urgency, um, and, and like I said, so you know, it sounds like I've really drank the Kool-Aid, it, but it, it coming from where I came from as an indie, I mean, this was a tough sell for me in the first place, right? Of look, I'm going to go work for this big company, right? There are 1,500 IT people, right, and that's that's a big IT department, but it doesn't feel that way, and it ne- it hasn't.
1: Yeah, it must feel a lot different to actually have a team after like 13 years of not having a team.
3: Yes, and I'm the I tell you what the biggest adjustment there is. I'm the dumbest guy in my team, and, and you know I know people say that, and it's it's you know you guys mentioned the imposter syndrome earlier. It's not so much that. It's just that these guys have been working on stuff at a scale that I never considered. Right, my apps over the years have been departmental level. Right, 10, 12 people, maybe 20 people using it. You know, little websites that, that their customers would use, but you know, not this big scale. At, at Quicken Loans, these guys are working on on scale that I had never even considered. So they're they've been working in this problem space that I, I man, I don't even know, right? It's
1: just a whole different set of problems.
3: A whole different set of problems, and I, I pair with guys on my team, and it's funny because I'll have a notebook, and it hasn't happened so much lately, but early on, I'd be pairing and I'd be like, man, I've never seen that keyword before. You know, or it was—it was just this, these things these uh, they were doing. It's like I, I never would have thought of that because it didn't matter in, my, in what I was doing. So every day I'm, I'm kind of forced to up my game, and to you know prove that I can hang with these guys. Because uh, I mean, early on it was—it was intimidating. It was like, wow, these these guys are really really smart. And
2: so I have a question. So the well, it's not really a question. It's kind of like a thought experiment. Mike, if you're prepared for it, you aren't prepared sure. for it because I haven't said it. There's an inherent bias to you talking about your current position because obviously it's good otherwise you wouldn't be there, right? That's correct. Mhm. Cuz you've also had the experience of going indie. Like honestly, that statement's not true for a lot of people who haven't embraced the the idea that they can make it as an independent. Like there are people who stay in situations believing that they can't make it as an independent and you are not that kind of person. So I wonder, like, what, like, or when you, maybe when you, this is probably drawn on your past experience, too, like, what's the bellwether for, like, what's the thing that says, you know, this is the, the time that this is no longer a good fit, you know, does that make sense? What's your canary?
3: Yeah, so, uh, back in 2001, before I made the decision to, in fact, I never made the decision to go indie, right? It just happened. So, going back to 2001, I was working for a consulting firm, um, and man, I was coming home miserable every day. I just, I hated what I was doing. I liked the people I worked with, but I could just feel it, right? It just was crushing. Um, and my it was noticeable to the people around me, um, specifically my wife. And so so she, I think she's the, when she sees something isn't right, she'll call it out. But so far, I haven't gotten up yet and, and walked into this office and sat down and said, this sucks, I don't want to do it. And and I think I'm the type of person who will see that and I and I won't put up with it because when I gave my Going Independent talk, the one thing that I, I, the number one lesson I learned, so I start to talk with lessons learned. So the number one lesson that I told people is be happy. If you're not happy doing what you're doing, then why are you doing it? And so right now I'm extremely happy I, and for, for a number of reasons, right? Not Not, you know. It, with with some simple things making that happen right like the steady paycheck man i just, my wife and i still spend 4 months and every other week we still giggle and go holy crap we got paid and then we didn't have to call anyone and say you know f you pay me right it's it's amazing i but it, it it's simple right um and and things like the health benefits um are amazing it, it's just all that but as soon as the work starts being Um, not fun, and and I'm not happy coming into this office and sitting down and working. Um, I think that'll be the signal. But I will also tell you that QL has a culture of, if you're not happy doing what you're doing, let's find somewhere where you are happy. So I know people there who are on, they're not on the team they started on, and I've talked to them at length. Um, Some of them started on the team I'm on, uh, and, and I've talked at length with them about why and and, and you know what there is you know what went through their head and why they moved and you know would they ever think of quitting instead and and most people there their first thought isn't I'm going to quit they they you know where is there a better fit for me within the company and I think that's fantastic and there's you know it's not just QL it's a whole family of companies of of opportunities. Um but I think it will be and, and I'll notice it right I, I'm I tend to be very introspective I will know when the time when the time comes, if the time comes, that this isn't it. That that I have to make a change, and whether that change is internally or whether that change is in the whole scheme of things, the worst thing that can happen by me taking this job is I hate it and I quit and I go back to being indie. Right, right. That's the worst thing that can happen, and that to me is not not a bad deal. Right, it's I'm okay with that. You know, the independent life. is good. I wouldn't discourage anybody from doing it. It was just, you know, 13 years of doing anything. is a long time. That's the longest job I ever had, (laughs) right? Um, You know, there's no saying I might not go back to it, but I will tell you that that every day someone at QL celebrates an anniversary where they've been there 13, 14, 15 years, you know, so the, the, the people that dig it, dig it. And so, I mean, only time will tell, you know, as soon as I start getting, I hate this, That'll be a good signal for me to have a conversation with someone, whether it's my wife or whether it's, and she'll probably know anyway to see what the next step is.
1: Would you, what would you think if you had to go into the
3: office? So I do go into the office, right? I go in, I have been in probably uh, once a month for about a week at a time. uh, And it's not bad, right? Now, if they said, you know what, no more remotes, you have to come into the office every day, all the time. Yeah, they they would, I, I wouldn't do it. Right. I mean, downtown Detroit is actually pretty cool. It's pretty vibrant, um, you know, much to, you know, what a lot of people think it is. It's it's actually very vibrant. It's very cool. It's, it's starting to be built up. Um, if I was younger and I didn't have a family, I might move if they said everyone has to be on site. Um, but I don't mind going into the office. It's a good experience. Um, it's uh, it's not this drab you know, gray, nasty cube farm, right? It's it's just open. There are Nerf gun fights, there are, you know, they have the ping pong tables and they have they have the fun stuff. So going in isn't that huge of a deal. If I had to go in all the time every day, yes, that'd be a deal breaker.
0: When you were independent did you work remotely as well?
3: I, I did a fair amount of on site, not a ton. Uh, and most of that started probably four or five years ago is when I kind of decided, look, I, I don't mind being on site. I think some of it had to do with my kids were older. It wasn't as big of a deal if I was gone for, you know, a few days or a week.
1: And your schedule, is that mandated? Like, do you have to be there from, you know, eight to five?
3: I, I don't know. I, I am uh, just because that's what my indie schedule was. My indie schedule was I was pretty much at my desk every day at eight and I would end, I'd probably end at like three, kind of when kids, when their school would end, Um I think it just all depends on on the team. I think it all depends on on the work that's happening uh, and meetings. Um, the fact is, I I struggle to work late nights anymore. I just can't do it. I I don't know why. Um, so I'm I'm typically in bed by you know 10 o'clock anyway. Uh, now I do have a, a guy on my team who uh, he messaged us you know late I guess this morning like 3:30. Hey, I've been working. <laughs> I'm gonna be in late. Uh, and so it just depends. Right, I I haven't seen anyone actually say you have to be here from this time to this time. I think there's, it, that's just what it works out. Like I want to be there when my team is there. I want to be there when I can reach out to ask the questions. I want to be there, you know, to help.
1: Yeah, I personally have pretty mixed feelings about flexible schedules. Like on one hand, I do really like the freedom to be able to say, you know, I'm gonna work 12 hours today and just take tomorrow off. Uh, but then on the other hand, I just often just like always feel the stress that I should be working because there's never anyone, you know, there's no not work time, there's no separation.
3: And that's something that, that took me a while once I got to QL is because as an indie, I always, I was always, work was always on my mind, right? I'd go on a vacation and about halfway through I would start getting stressed because I, I'm not working, I need to work because I'm not, I'm not working, I'm not making money, right? And so there was, in fact, my first week at QL, there wasn't a whole lot to do and I'm freaking out, right? It's like, I, I, you're paying me, I need to be doing something. And now, I tell you what. what's nice, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much done at 5, 5.30. Weekends, I don't even think about doing any work, at least any, any work work, right? I, I do some side work, which is cool. And the, the other problem, too, you find when, when you have flexible schedules across the team is that the guy that you need to talk to is the one who stayed up until 4 o'clock in the morning isn't coming in until noon, right? And it's like, ah, if only he was here, right? And that doesn't happen that often, right? I mean, this, this is the first time this has happened in in a a while but but there can be that impact so if i'm not there if i don't roll in until 11 or 12 and someone's looking for me then then that that i don't want to be the bottleneck i don't want to be the one that someone's waiting on to get something
0: done yeah i've worked remotely a few times uh and it's always felt more cohesive and i felt more I i think less lonely uh when myself and my my team is working like the same schedule from across the u.s but uh most companies have been like nine to five from some U.S. time zone that you should be available on chat or something. It makes you feel like you're working with people when you're when you're remote. I think is pretty important.
3: Now I I refer to a guy and he just started I don't know a few weeks ago. He's on a different team and a different part of the organization. He lives in California, but he's working East Coast time. He's working Eastern time. But he said he loves it. So he said yeah, I start working at six o'clock my time, but I'm done at two. How bad is that? So. So for for him to work at the same time everyone else here is working, it, he's cool with that. So, and, but again, I think that just depends on the team and and the kind of work you're doing. I know there are are some teams there that I, I don't think that would work, but I'll take I'll, I'll take what I can get.
1: At a schedule like that, uh, we were working remotely. Uh, there's two of us and like eight people in London, and things were just going terribly because our our schedules did not overlap enough. So. Uh, you know, because we would come into the office uh, and by lunchtime, you know they would be done. So we started just working from home, waking up at at six in the morning to be in their you know eleven a m stand up and overlapping with them. and I hated it every morning at six a m but you know it was great being done at, at two p m
0: yeah, i worked uh, i'm on I'm on the east coast in Philadelphia, uh, and I worked for a company in the west coast where they didn't get in until our, our morning standup was eleven thirty Pacific, so that was two thirty Eastern. Then they would immediately go to lunch, so my team wouldn't really start working until four o'clock Eastern, um, and then I would stop working at like five or six to go make dinner, and then they would have meetings at like uh, you know seven, eight, eight, nine o'clock sometimes Eastern time, and I would always and I, I would refuse to work those times, but I always feel guilty that I wasn't attending. Um, so I think it's important to have like cohesion as to what, what time the your team's working. Backtracking to when you were independent, how did you um find most of your clients? Because I've I've only worked as a subcontractor through other companies. Um have never found clients on my own. So I'm a little if I were were to ever go independent, I'm a little scared of how I, I would find my clients.
3: Yeah, it was actually all like word of mouth. So when I first when I left the consulting gig back in 2001... Um, I just fell into it, right? It was one of those things where I was—I I basically rage quit that one. Um, you know, hindsight, I bur- bridges were burning, and, and, and that kind of thing. But I left and the very next day. A guy that still worked there called me, one of my friends, and said, "Hey, my brother-in-law runs a uh, owns a consulting company in South Carolina. Would you be—you want to sub?" And my thought was, "Well, sure. That'll—I'll make some money while I'm looking for my next, you know, real gig." And uh, it just so happened that. You know, that just kind of worked. Um, and and I, I while I was still interviewing, uh, trying to find a real job, and I, I, I always say real job, but you know what I mean. Um, it, I just kept doing this subcontracting work for this guy, and it's like, well, this is pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm making twice as much money working half the hours. All right? let that sink in a little bit and ha- working half the time making twice as much money. Well, sweet, man. Who doesn't want to do that? Uh, so I did that for a while. And then I started emailing all my former coworkers and former bosses and, and anyone I could saying, look, I'm out of my own now. Um, you know, what do you guys have for me? And so that just kind of started, right? I, I'd get one and, and I would do that and, and that would turn into something else and then they would refer me to someone and it just kind of worked out. So as the years went by, um, that was kind of it. That's all I, I did. It was just, you know? And and I was always kind of like, if you remember seeing the Seinfeld episode where he was even Steven, right? Lost a 20, reached in his pocket, found a 20, right? It was that kind of thing where, you know, Hey, every time a gig would start to uh, lose one, one would come up. It would just, Hey, cool. But then I started getting into more and more uh, conference speaking as a way to uh, extend my reach. And so I did more and more of that and and trying to be, become like an expert in something, right? For me, it was uh, in the .NET stack. It was, uh, XAML and WPF. It was Windows desktop dev, which not a lot of people were doing. And so I would give these talks, do these workshops, you know, and, and I would never expect like a, a gig the next day, but six months, a year down the road, somebody would call saying, hey, we've got this project we started. We're stuck. Can you come in and help us? And, and I started to, to develop a, a good reputation, both as a as a community speaker and as a, as a dev and all this kind of stuff. And it got to the point where... Uh, I'd get these calls and someone would say, hey, you know, you were referred by so-and-so. This is what we need. When can you start? Not even, hey, can we interview you to make sure you know what you're talking about? It was so-and-so referred you. Can you start Friday? You know, there are a lot of things I didn't do, right? Um, Like I I made a couple of mistakes of of kind of working in very niche areas. So, in fact, people heard me say, and I'm sure Len has heard me say, like, I hate the web. And so that probably hurt me a little bit, right? So I wasn't getting lots. There were lots of gigs out there, but what did people know me for? They knew me for Windows desktop dev. You know, hindsight, I probably would have would have changed that and marketed myself a little bit differently. And I did a fair amount of subcontracting too.
0: Yeah, I really like them. It's it's a it's a great way to have like steady work and not concentrate on building clients or finding clients.
3: Right, and they're the ones who are dealing with all the headaches of, you know, collecting money and. Yeah, and that kind of stuff. Which was sometimes that's nice. Sometimes that's really, really nice.
0: So, working for Quick and Loans now, are you doing more web-oriented stuff, or are you still doing Windows desktop stuff?
3: Uh, I really haven't done any any Windows desktop stuff in a couple of years. Oh, and that, okay. and, that, and, that, and that was part of the problem, right? But I had the reputation of that's what that's what Mike does. Um, so a QL, I'm I'm doing I'm doing some web stuff. I'm doing it. Just all depends on the day. Um, I am doing more web. I am doing more planning type things, but I'm not afraid of the web. I, you know, I just, if you look at the web where it was in 2006, 2007, it sucked, right? It's better now. So, and I don't mind doing it right. I in fact, you know, for before I, I left being an indie, some of my clients who earlier on, I'd said, you know, you don't want that as a web app. Right. Um, I've, I've changed my tune, and if they were to ask today, it's like, yeah, most certainly. So, and that's simply because the, the tools have gotten a lot better. Right. You can do a lot, uh, a lot more things um, in, in a much nicer fashion than you could, you know, eight nine years ago.
0: What do you think has changed? Are you talking about server side or JavaScript technologies?
3: Uh, I'm talking about all of it. Um, so the last, like, so the thing that kind of turned me off in the in the mid two thousands was I was doing um, uh, ASP.NET Web Forms. Uh, it was doing custom control development in web forms and it was just, you know, the whole, the things Microsoft did in web forms was just awful, right? The whole page life cycle, the whole, you know, all this, trying to make it stateful where it wasn't, um, that really turned me off. But <clears throat> I do think, you know, the, the improvements in JavaScript, the improvements, in things you can do, uh, on the server side have all just, you know, and even from Microsoft, right? They, they learned and a lot of what they're doing now, um, is actually really cool. But some of the things that I've done on my own have been, I, I've worked in Angular, I've worked on some Node work, you know, that stuff, you know, while it has its warts, um, is is a much better experience, in my opinion, than than what I was doing in Web Forms in 2006.
0: I've heard a lot of uh, Java and .NET developers uh, have been using Angular recently. Uh, I haven't used Angular myself or any any of the Java or .NET frameworks, but... Um there seems to be something there where there's some kind of similarity to how it worked before. I think it's a lot of the patterns, right?
1: Dependency injection and factories.
3: Mm. And binding, right? I think the whole idea of, of binding really clicks with a lot of you know, Microsoft.net developers. Um but you know, I mean I, I, I've done some other things and I've been looking at Python and I've been looking at at just, you know, other things. Um just just because it's different. And I think one of the reasons that I lost kind of the passion for for technology in general is you know we all say hey if so and so has twenty years experience well is it twenty years of experience or is it twenty years doing the same year over and over well mm-hmm. I feel like my last probably three or four years of being indie was the same thing over and over and so you know starting to to kind of branch out And I think that's why now that I have the ability to to branch out and do. Some of this other stuff, because my clients weren't coming to me saying, hey, Mike, do, you know, do this Rails app or, or, you know, write this in Python. They were saying, we want this Windows desktop app. (laughs) Right. So um,
1: I I know I found it hard to pitch those kind of things. Like, how can you pitch doing something you're not really good at?
3: And expect a decent bill rate. Right. I could probably pitch him, but would I get the same bill rate as I was as .NET? And that was that was the crux of it, right? And that's where I know a lot of people who have made that transition. You know, they had to have that that period of time of low bill rates to build up the, you know, kind of their skill set and their reputation for being able to do it.
1: Any more uh, thoughts on independence before we get into picks?
3: People shouldn't be afraid of it. You know, because what's the worst that can happen? Right. You, you you don't make it, and you have to go back to working a, a job for the man. Um, it's not hard at all to do. It's just a matter of doing it.
1: Cool. Uh, Justin, do you have uh, any picks?
0: Uh, yes. Um, I guess I'll pick uh, Ruby Together. is a new organization. Uh, so right now there's Ruby Central, which uh, runs RubyConf and RailsConf, and also runs RubyGems.org, which is a very expensive service to run. Um, So the two conferences pay for the conferences themselves and also for uh, RubyGems.org. So Ruby Together is a new organization that is dedicated to sustaining and improving the tools and infrastructure of the Ruby programming language. So uh, there's a board of directors that has um, a lot of people on it, such as Aaron Patterson, Steve Klabnik, and Sarah May. And uh, they are funding uh, a developer, Andre Arco, who I believe is on the bundler team. And... Yeah, companies can uh, support Ruby Together for eight hundred dollars a month, or individuals can support it for forty dollars a month. Uh, companies get to be on slides uh, when the Ruby Together team gives talks and advertised, uh, and individuals get access to a Slack room. Um, it's a little expensive, I think forty dollars a month for individuals to be recurring. Um, but they tweeted today that they're working on more affordable plans and the ability to do one-off donations. But it's cool to see, uh, you know, a a community-supported way to make make Ruby stick around and the tools that we're using. So, yeah, rubytogether.org. Mike, do
1: you have any picks?
3: Uh, So if it can be anything, so music, uh, I'm really digging on um, this thing called Music to Code By, which is from Carl Franklin. He's kind of big in the .NET space, but he's an amazing musician. And it's got three tracks, each 25 minutes long, right about the length of a Pomodoro. Uh, And it's just this really kind of background music you can just kind of work to. It's really cool. And if I could do something else, I would say I also have a pick for a bourbon. I was introduced to uh, Angel's Envy Rye, which is amazing.
1: Nice. I can never get into bourbon. I I like my scotch, but bourbon's like too sweet, I think. Mm.
2: That's sacrilegious. I don't know if we can be friends, Len.
3: Hmm.
1: What would be a good intro bourbon? Would it be the one you just suggested?
3: Uh, a good intro would be, I mean, probably a Maker's Mark or something like that, right? Just go somewhere and order that. But, you know, I like Angel's Envy. I like Jefferson Reserve. Um, Four Roses is good. Drank a lot of that I this think, last weekend. I
2: think Bullet is fine. Bullet, Bullet Rye? Urban. Bullet Bourbon. Oh. Uh. Bullet does make a rye, but Bullet Bourbon is fine. And I don't think it's too sweet. Basil Hayden also has a spicy kick. If you aren't as into the suite,
1: well, that's cool. Uh, Jervon, do you have a pick?
4: Yes. My music pick is a DJ called Major, Major Laser. And as far as programming picks go, I don't have anything. Sorry. <laughs> You've you done nothing programming related in the last week? So I, I, I'll, I'll take that back. <laughs> this week I volunteered for Tech Girls, which is an organization to teach girls of all ages programming and other not all ages
2: middle school girls
4: (laughs) mine was high school though
2: Eh, their technical mission is middle school girls
4: okay so mostly middle school sometimes high school (laughs) and it was pretty rewarding to see the attendees actually give it effort and learn the thing that you're teaching
0: And you were teaching a podcast class? I was
4: teaching podcasting, yes. How was that? It was good. Uh, It was basically open up GarageBand, record yourself, get comfortable with that, and here are some ways that you could um, do things with it. Nice. I think I'm doing the second class. I'm not sure yet.
1: Pam, do you have a pick?
2: I do. So um, I am have some hands in the voice coding community. And uh, someone in the voice coding community recently started handsfreecoding.org, which I think is really awesome because when you start navigating your computer with your voice, there's very few resources and most of them seem to be from 1994. Uh, and so I appreciate the hands-free coding website and I, like, the posts. The few posts that Mark has on there are, already have a bunch of comments. So people are obviously interested in coding by voice and are definitely underserved. Uh, and also the the project that I've been working on is related to voice coding. So it's kind of It'll soon maybe be internet public.
1: Nice. Uh, so my pick is the Between Screens podcast, which I just learned about uh, like two weeks ago, but they've been going for a few months. They're kind of a micro tech podcast. Episodes are between 10 and 15 minutes long. And lately they've interviewed uh, Chad Pytel, uh, Steve Klabnick, uh Tom Dale. So uh, really cool podcast uh, I've been enjoying. And uh, uh, thanks, Mike, for coming on and talk to us. Where can people find out more about you?
3: Uh, easiest way is about.me slash mjeaton, E-A-T-O-N. It has all my Twitter and GitHub and all the goodness.
1: Cool. Uh, so show notes are at turing.cool slash uh, 43. Follow us on Twitter at turingcool. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Great. Thanks. See you.